the end of the day, to put on the burnt orange and white and to represent this great university and the great state of Texas is one I don't take lightly, and we will go for it to the highest level. Hook them. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Justin Tucker from 40 yards out for the game. It's up. The Longhorns win it. back here on the 41st acre where our main goal is to discuss the state of Longhorn football and Texas athletics. The 41st acre is brought to you by Dash Sports where it's no bias, no BS, just sports. Y'all can follow Dash Sports on Twitter and Instagram at Dash underscore sports with a Z. That's because Dash Sports, they cover sports from A to Z. Alright, joining us tonight as always, we have Charlie for our on-campus correspondent. Uh, Jordy, our producer, will actually be hopping on here as well. Uh, and our special guest for the day is Michael... Zayek. Uh, he is also a current student at Texas. Michael, we're glad to have you here on the 41st Acre. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, you guys, for having me. Um, it's like you said, I'm a student at UT. Uh, went to high school with Charlie Ainsworth at the Bishop Gorman, the Bishop TK Gorman High School in Tyler, Texas. Uh, Charlie and I played football together. We also went through a lot more than just high school, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, all that. And uh, on top of football, you know, I uh, do a couple of things on campus besides classes. I'm obviously an avid football fan um, and president of the Casey Thompson fan club before they started. Put an asterisk on that because once the season started, whoever uh, is the starting quarterback out there. But I am the president of the Casey Thompson fan club. And you're about to get a lot more busy, I'm sure. He is back at QB1 this week against Rice, but we'll get later. Or we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But we are glad to have you here, Michael. It's been a hell of a weekend, so we're going to jump right into it and uh, get your perspective as a student. And the, uh, let's just say, not quite up to par performance we were expecting this past weekend in Fayetteville. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, to say the least. That is definitely one adjective that comes to mind. Uh, others might be um, surprising or gut-wrenching or honestly, for a guy that's been around since, you know, the Mac Brown era ended, uh, been there, done that kind of thing. I remember when BYU came to DKR, we had a similar situation where it was just like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, we've had this before, even when TCU comes to DKR, we had the 39-3 loss, so it's kind of this, I think, is going to be an interesting repercussion as if we've learned anything from those past losses or if we're going to just kind of do our same song and dance where now it's we want the head coach's head on a platter or do we get past this, look at it as just growing pains, and who knows? Yeah, is that Mike and I were at the first Texas loss to Maryland game uh, where the boomer, the boosters immediately started clamoring for the yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, the general consensus around campus has been uh, pretty disappointing. Everybody's kind of walking around with their shoulders down that, you know, watches football. And, you know, it's obviously tough after a loss, and it's even tougher after a big loss. So people are looking, scrambling, trying to find what went wrong. And uh, some people are a little bit more down in the dumps than others. I'm actually not as pessimistic about this game as I usually am. Uh, I actually really like 
coach Sam Pittman at Arkansas. That's probably one of my favorite coach at place relationships, if you will. He belongs there. So it was hard to stay mad for more than a couple hours after the game. Obviously, uh, still really disappointed in how the team played and really humiliated as well. Would you say, though, that, I mean, it, we weren't the only team this past weekend that kind of had a shocking loss. I mean, you look around the country and it was just kind of across the board, a Saturday full of either upsets or just disappointing performances. We started off early with Ohio State losing to Oregon. I mean, hell of a game. But then again, going in, it was still unanimous that Ohio State was going to take that game and it just didn't happen. And that was in the horseshoe in Ohio State Stadium. So it's just kind of difficult that we can sit here and say, oh, well, Texas was the worst one of the bunch. Like, we had all these expectations and we should hang our heads low. Well, no. You think Ohio State's going to just, like, we want day out of here all of a sudden? I mean, the dude's been proven. They're going to trust him to come back. Uh, Utah, I mean, there had been a program on the upswing, and they had a loss as well to uh, BYU. Florida State, after a hell of a game last week, they end up, you know, with a shocking ending play to take the game. And then, obviously, I mean, today we saw USC took the loss, and they – went with the knee-jerk reaction to fire their coach early in the season. But then again, he's been there uh, going on his seventh year. So maybe they have finally just gotten fed up with the results. I just find it uh, reckless that Texas kind of, yes, we have these high expectations. That is great. By all means, you want to be aiming for the highest possible outcome every year, no matter what your team is, who you have, your facilities, your fan base. You, you all want to be the best. That's great. But you have to keep in mind, there's only X amount of spots for people to be good or fill these number one spots and slots and best teams in the country. So if you fall short, you know, you can't just be deterred that, oh, it's never going to happen with what we have. We should just wipe the slate clean. Maybe we actually buy in a little bit more. We just don't get shooken by such a, you know, shocking loss, which it was, I would say. But at the same time, look around and say, yeah, the state of Arkansas football, they're getting better. They're on the way up. We have a new coach. I mean, we have a lot of young players out there, so maybe it was just kind of this first real test. And, yeah, they took one in the mouth. I mean, let's be real. We got knocked down. But uh, would you rather it now or late in the season when maybe we had something and then they get knocked and they have no sense of how to cope with it? Now you've seen a team that shows up and punches you in the face. And how do you how do you react to that? Do you come back and gear up for the next one or do you just fold and just start throwing in the towel, firing people and assuming you can do better with someone else? Yeah, Zeb, you're right. This was a weekend full of upsets. But in a couple of those cases, Iowa and Oregon, uh, they were at least ranked teams. It hurts to go into Fayetteville and play an unranked Arkansas team that the real repercussions of the game are our future in the SEC and not even necessarily in this season. Um, so that that's what really hurts your feelings. Jordy, you still there? Yeah, I was looking up some stats. Let's hear them. Um, yeah, what you looking up? So, well, I was just curious because obviously I'm the one recording but or editing, but Arkansas returned, I think, probably 20-ish of their 22 starters off of that wow. team last year, and they gave up nearly five yards of carry on defense and roughly 190-something yards a game. Okay, and y'all okay. managed about 3.4 yards per rush. Right. And a lot, and part of that is you had to get away from it. But what I was trying to look at is how many of those yards came after Casey came in and he started scrambling, is what I was trying to look up uh, when you were talking. Yeah, because it was only like a hundred and five, a hundred and low teens amount of total uh, total passing, uh, rushing. I'd say is about the same. It was not very good, if not double digits. Yeah, we had one hundred and thirty eight yards. Bijan had sixty nine. Uh, Casey had forty four. 113 total rushing yards. 
I think Casey Casey had six point three yards per carry though when he was in there, and that's part of you know why he's starting right now. I know we're off the record; we'll probably hit on this in a minute, but you know, one of the things was that he was more decisive than Hudson Card, and it wasn't just about passing; it was because he ran. Hudson Card didn't really tuck it and run; he was trying to really around the pocket and got a little bit happy feet and uh, he didn't ever make that decision to go and run or if he did it was too late he was already swallowed up so, yeah so you know what i was got a guy was, in there in casey that was able to do what teams did last year right so the but the thing was is i mean what by the time casey came in the hogs i mean they were they were bringing three guys and getting home with it that's the offensive line is the biggest issue here Obviously, we'll, y'all are getting into that in a little bit. But so Casey came in and they were playing prevent, but getting home with three guys. So, I mean, there was de- there was all day to run. And, and so I was just trying to look at is how many of those yards came after Casey came in and he started scrambling. And I just I don't I don't know how much better that offensive line can be. So the, I, I, that, that was just me looking up stats. I'll let y'all get into the rest of it now, but. With AM, I could be grasping at straws, but I can blame our rushing issues this past weekend on the fact that we had a true freshman at center who's going to get better. He's a five-star and a guy with one healthy leg. I could be wrong, and we could just suck at running the rest of the year. But, like, I, I didn't – you know what I'm saying? Like, was Texas missing anybody that I wasn't aware of because I wasn't – Injury-wise, no. Okay, so – Mentally, whatever. probably. <laughs> so, I just – I'm – really thought that Texas would be somewhere between nine and three and 10 and two. And I just don't know how it gets there. I was very shocked at like, I did when we went and watched the game last weekend or two weekends ago, the O-line looked good, but they had miscues here and there that kind of threw up a white flag, but I thought they were very fixable. But I mean, Friday, Saturday night was one of the poor, like, and I know uh, we've talked about Texas has struggled with offensive line for multiple years, but that was one of the more poor performances a Texas O-line has had in a long time. So Yeah, the left side of our line has been sorry. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no other way to put it. Those two guys, they weren't very good last season. They kind of got exposed, um, and then they're getting exposed again this year. Uh, they're getting not physical. But honestly, I, you know, you pointed to the miscues and stuff. I saw a lot of the miscues in this game as well. I think it was 50-50, 50-50 miscues and out All your out was on the left side, and your miscues were at the center position and the right side of the line. And so it's like you said with AM, when one person, you know, doesn't do their job right, the whole play gets blown up. And, you know, I tweeted a video out of that too where you see um, the center. Our line ended up triple to the left the defense, which made no sense. Like, I've never heard of a triple team block assignment ever. And if he had turned to his right and blocked the nose tackle, it would have kept the whole play from getting blown up in the backfield. But instead, our right guard that was trying to pull around to the left got pushed by that unblocked nose tackle into Bijan, four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and the whole play was just blown up. All that dude had to do was turn to the right and block that nose tackle, and the play would have been perfectly fine. Stupid stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Jake definitely talked about it last week. The size difference, whether it's strictly just the size difference, but the physicality between the trenches of of an SEC school, but definitely in particular Arkansas, 
was warned and definitely showed up. Um, it it was it was very disappointing to see that. I mean, the O line you could physically see White being pushed back every play. There was never a surge forward, and vice versa. Our D line, which we did brag quite a bit on the past week after the Louisiana game. Um, same thing. Granted, I mean, I know the st- the plays and the stunts are a little bit different, so it's not as easy for them to get a big push. But Arkansas averaged seven yards a carry Saturday. So basically, in simple terms, they could do whatever the hell they wanted, um, and it, there was just no stopping them. And it was very obvious. I mean, even f- it, it looked positive, like oh, maybe we make some adjustments at halftime. No, sorry. They're, yeah. they, they're, they're slapping you around like a pinata, and the candy is gone. The bat is starting to chip, and they are still hitting it. Um, it's, it was just very obvious there was a more dominant team on the field. No matter how good your play caller is in Sark, no matter how big Bijan's quads are, he is not going to be any more capable of taking down that plan. And when you add all the you know screaming Arkansas fans that want to see them just beat the hell out of us, that's just fuel to the fire and they ain't stopping. Yeah. And Sam Pittman said that today in his press conference, they asked him because they were, ta- I think they were talking about A&M, like looking forward to that game or something like that. And he said, do you want to see, what do you want to see from KJ Jefferson throwing the ball um, before you get to the conference play with A&M or something along the lines of that. And then they said, why, uh, why did you not get him more work or something like that during the Texas game when you're up to try to work in, practice it or something like that he goes i'm running the ball seven yards a damn play why the hell would i ever throw it yep why would you risk that you offer a lot more opportunities for us to shift the momentum if you put it in the air but if you can keep it on the ground and get those kind of numbers do whatever you want you ain't gonna stop me it was very obvious the last two touchdowns actually came from i believe freshman running back and they were not short runs either they were i think one was about a 30 yard the other was a 40 yard run for a touchdown talk about walking all over now we can address the obvious obvious you know hudson card did not live up to what we originally saw that could happen after the louisiana game um not getting into in particular stats things like that because very obvious if you have less than two seconds to get rid of the ball you're not going to be a good quarterback and on top of that if you're just not accurate especially with this kind of high-intensity offensive strategy that Sark has, if you can't be accurate with that throw, it's going to be very difficult to move the ball. And then if you have an elite running back like we do, if he has no hole to run through, you know, he, he cannot be invisible and just find wherever he wants to go. So it's literally came down to, you know, the O-line, D-line situation again as we've hit. Much like an air conditioner, nobody really cares about it until it stops working. And that thing went out early. And it is August and 95 degrees outside. We sweat. Uh, but I wanted to ask you guys, clearly Hudson did not live up to what he wanted to. Casey comes in late third quarter. First off, do you think, and this is a question a lot of people have said, it was too early, too late. Should he have been put in earlier? I got to say he did as well as Hudson did, even in less time. His performance was superior even without the starting opportunity that Hudson Card had. So maybe so. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I texted one of my friends um, when they put Casey in. I had texted probably about two or three drives before that. 
I said we need to let Hudson come out and run the first uh, drive of the second half to try to execute the uh, halftime adjustments. Able to do that, we got to make the switch. And instead of doing that, we waited till like what a minute thirty or something like that left in the third quarter to make the switch. And when they made it, I texted and said it's too late at this point. He's given up on the game, and he's just going to let Casey go in there and see what he can do. So you saw it as an act of throwing in the towel or as an act of try something different? I mean, at that point, the game was just out of reach. Um, and if it went when Casey came in and scored that first touchdown, it definitely was when Arkansas responded with the touchdown and took like five minutes off the clock. Right. And so I, I don't know if it was a complete white flag. But at that point, it wouldn't hurt to switch at your quarterback. And that was just kind of like – the last, the last thing he could do to try to switch something up. What I worry though, and this is where, you know, when Sam was a hell of a quarterback for us. I mean, he was definitely put everything he could on the field. But when you're running back, sorry, when your quarterback is basically a running back who can throw, and you're relying on him for your rushing yards, or just every time the pocket collapses, him running wildly to get some kind of first down. I know it looks cool and you really think he's Superman, but to me that just shows you basically only needed half of your offense to do anything because the other ones are just running around in space. And as long as a few guys block long enough for him to run, we move the ball. But it doesn't look organized, nor does it look confident that we actually have our strategy set up and that's what we're going to do. Now, you know, quarterback sneak, something like that, a design play is one thing, but kind of an act of desperation of him just seeing daylight and taking off because nothing else is working. I fear that that is where – uh, Arkansas basically took us and it just kind of showed a very weak mindset of what we had, you know, on the field. And it just gave me flashbacks to Tom Herman. That was the only reason I brought that up. I just worry that if we get comfortable with just having Casey, just cause yeah, he's more active, he's getting more yards or he's getting more scores, but he's having to do most of that himself. I look at that as just an inefficient offense. So I hope, you know, the adjustments after this game can be made and, Whatever we can do to get this line just working is probably step number one. You can control the trench game. Everything else will kind of come back and actually start to work again. We're not going to be no high-octane offense right off the bat, but if you can at least give these guys time to work and do their thing, get their runs, get their passes, get their looks, you'll see a massive improvement, and you'll definitely start to actually see more points on the board. Plus, you'll give your defense a break, unlike Saturday where they were out there every other three downs, and that's – Definitely difficult. Uh, that being said, though, speaking of, you know, three and out, we did see some very interesting special teams play uh, right off the bat. The first punt coming from us, the Arkansas bobbles it. We damn near get it back on the five yard line. What if that actually goes through? Do you think that even changes the game or we just go up you know, seven to three in the first quarter and then they still run away with it? I wonder if that little bit of just momentum shift would have caught them off. Yeah, Um I saw somebody was talking about, you know, Arkansas fed off of momentum in that game. And so if we came in and scored quick like that, we were, we were able to really, you know, force the three and out on their first drive and hold them to a field goal. Uh, it might have made them doubt themselves, taking a little bit of that mojo out from under them. And you might have had a completely different energy to that ball and you could have really capitalized on something there. Yeah, yeah the especially defense did a fine early. job of holding them to some uh, some – field goals, in the, especially in the first half. 
but if you could give the offense just a moment where Arkansas fans have to shut up and acknowledge a touchdown, then maybe our offense gets a chance to make a play. Yeah, because once that snowball got rolling, it was gone. And it was just, again, I know it sounds very upset, but, I mean, without sounding pessimistic, it just it was very obvious that we were being handled that game. We showed up, and they just needed 11 people to play against. They weren't playing against 11 people. Now, Dicker, the kicker, the one and only, the big dick, he also kind of cracked a few things. And that's interesting because, you know, Texas has been known to always have a few really crazy kickers or punters or just some specialists that are out of this world. And Dicker came in, obviously, early in 2018. We see his magic at OU. and We really have, you know, he's got his own little cult following, I would imagine, especially around campus and around alumni. People just recognize him instantly. Dicker, the kicker, I mean, it's a match made in heaven. But uh, he showed, you know, a little bit of human side. I know he bobbled that snap and had a huge moment with a four-yard punt that came off of that. Uh, I think even a little mistake, I mean, he's caught a little mistake, but a mistake like that is another momentum shift. I mean, if he gets that ball down the field, you actually get a little bit more room for your defense to operate instead of, I think, getting it back on the 15-yard line. And as mentioned earlier, if they average seven yards a carry, that's three plays and they're in the end zone. So, I mean, I think it just started to pile on early, and that's where it just kind of got against us. Anything in particular y'all might have saw at the game you want to bring up? But I noticed that we were really vanilla. I mean, obviously, you can't do much when you got two seconds to throw the ball. But our game plan was really vanilla on offense and defense. And the defense is what was telling for me. So, you know, our guys weren't really running stunts. They weren't really doing anything super complex up front. It looked like the coaching staff just kind of overlooked Arkansas. And they did not have a good game plan. I would definitely agree, and I don't understand because I know we picked us to win as well. I mean, a lot of people did. That's not a mistake. But at the same time, I didn't really think it was going to be any kind of blowout win. I just assumed Arkansas was just as good as we are and add some size and physicality. It would be a hell of a game. Maybe somebody walks off with a field goal. I mean, that's kind of what I had in mind, not nearly as well a performance as they put on. So I guess that kind of leads into a good point if – you know, the SEC and the country in general just doesn't give Arkansas credit for what's happening. Uh, maybe it's just an image problem that they have and nobody wants to just give them credit. But uh, truthfully, after seeing that, I'm not trying to say we're as good as any other team in the you know, world or these we're not the best team in the rest of the country. But if they did that to us, I'm just like, SEC or not, these boys are coming and they got some momentum now. Uh, I forget who they play, some small state school next week. Four guys, you know, buckle up. Then they go to Dallas, to Jerry World, to play AM. They've kind of got the rest of their SEC schedule after that. I mean, at this point in the SEC West, LSU is not performing. Ole Miss, Mississippi State are making some ways. I'll give them that. AM got bit hard by the injury bug. And honestly, I think their offense got a little bit exposed by Colorado's defense. I mean, that's, but they're also, again, a very physical team. So if you see that and you're Sam Pittman, you're like, oh, boy, I got these big old boys up front. We got a hell of a defensive back system. We about to bring the wood and just shake the SEC up and surprise some folks, much of which never gave us any kind of chance of being top three or even in the top half of the SEC West, which I think is now they might want to take a little more interest in Arkansas. I think, like you said, our coaches probably overlooked them, thought it was going to be just a quick in and out or maybe just a simple game plan, but 
like I think he said, we got caught on our back foot and we got knocked on our ass. Hey, did y'all see that? I don't you know, ask if I should bring this up before I actually said it, but I was watching a uh, Oklahoma channel today just because I always like to hear what kind of shit everybody else is talking. And he brought up a tweet from Emmanuel Acho, who's like on oh, my top three, top three, I would punch him in the face list, uh, right behind Tim Tebow and Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> his tweet, which the Oklahoma guy, I didn't get the name of his channel, but he called it the most Aggie tweet he's ever seen from a Longhorn especially someone with some notoriety, which I find to be a dubious claim, especially for Acho. But he tweeted, to clarify any confusion, hashtag Texas is going to the SEC because of money, not to increase their chances of winning. Hashtag Texas may lose on the field, but we always win in the bank. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. To which first I say, no one asked. Uh, And two, if that's your take, then why do you try to associate yourself with Texas so much? If you just think we're in it for the money, uh, are you also in it for the money? Is that the only reason you're following Texas sports and making money off of that program that now got you famous? Or are you also one of these you know, fans that just assume if they're not winning, I can stop. And then when they start winning, I can start supporting them again. That's yeah. Just- the whack thing is, I don't think he's actually hating on Texas. I think he's taking a superiority stance, talking about this. Texas is the brand. We bring in the cash. It doesn't even matter if we win football games, which is an yeah. absolute eye of whore. Yeah. And it is sad. I think at the end of the day, and this came up several times, even when we'd go to track meets elsewhere, um, or any sport, really, if you went to, like, Oklahoma and you lost or, like, we play them, like, oh, you know, y'all suck, you know, y'all lost. Yeah, but at least we don't live in Oklahoma. I don't like that we go to the at least counter for our games or our post-game pickup speeches. You know, at least we live in Austin. At least we still have a winning record against y'all. At least we make more money than anybody else. You know, at least, at least, at least. I, I don't like that. It's just <laughs> it's a very cop-out list of, like – what we think we're still good at and why it makes us relevant. Yeah, it's, it's no way to live and it's no foundation for shit talk. Yeah, because money only goes so far. I mean, it really does. Uh, eventually, you have to prove that this product that's making all this money is worth it or somebody else will be more investable than you. Yeah, and we're not bringing in more money than the teams that are regularly winning with their sports programs. We're not bringing in more athletics money than Bama. Yeah. I mean, the, the teams that are good are close to our revenue because they're good. We're bringing it in just because we milk the system and we rub finger, rub elbows with you know politics and big money in Texas. I, I just, I would love to see when we, fi- I say when we're finally good again. Texas as a program, as athletics that we mentioned on this channel is solid right now. I mean, the rest of Texas sports are killing it. Uh, basketball's hot, you know, up and down, but that's basketball. It's a crazy fast sport. The rest of the sports are taking care of themselves. When football finally gets good again, I fear what happens. You know what I'm saying? Like the program and the system is built for greatness. It's built to just have all eyes on it, but we just don't have the product to draw all of the eyes anymore. We draw all the hate, but I mean, that's part of it. It's just when we finally get back on top or even remotely close to top. Like if we were like a a Georgia right now, like – just right there on the edge of it. Oh man, like the electricity around here would be so much different. And we just, 
it, it would be so much more of a positive thing walking around and not having to rely on hopefully we wins or at least we're still rich. It's we are, you know, killing it. And I will not say that phrase that we, you know, the we are, you know, whatever that's just tainted now. But when we finally get back to that point of regular success or regular positives, it'd be much more better. All right. Rant over. So let me do a quick rundown of the other sports and we'll jump right into the rice game. Uh, if y'all didn't know, this is episode three, rice, rice, baby. Um, strong second was rice to meet you. But, yeah. Let's kick it. All right, this past week in Texas athletics, women's soccer took on Oregon, but came up just shorthanded, losing 0-1. to one. Number one, volleyball. They are continuing their streak with a win over Arizona, 3-1, to one, as well as a win over Notre Dame, 3-1. to one. Their next game is September 17th in College Station against Texas A&M, followed by Rice on September 22nd. Women and men's golf are traveling a little bit this week. Women's golf is up in Minnesota at the Anika Classic. Men's golf is at the Mando Collegiate Invitational, uh, and that is actually uh, going on the next few days this week. They actually get to kind of escape Texas, this bad weather we're having, so best of luck to all of them, and safe travels getting back and getting there. Men's tennis, they're going to the West Coast, San Francisco, the Battle of the Bay, and women's tennis, they're staying local. They'll head up to Fort Worth this week. So, Texas football, one and one. It was a hell of a start in Louisiana. It was a bit of a gut check this past week at Fayetteville, but now we come back to DKR and we will not be cooking in 100 degree weather this week. Actually have a pleasant evening game under the lights in Austin. Uh, Rice, the classic rival in state that even though we may be better at them in most sports, they definitely got us in academics, so we like to trade blows on the football field and see what happens. Um, fellas, what are we thinking this week? I remember Rice actually played Arkansas before us, and Though the scores were relatively similar, I'd say Rice had a little bit more of a showing than we did, especially in Fayetteville. Um, do you think this is another team that we need to not just take lightly, that just because in the past we have a winning record that we're going to stomp over them? Or do you think that this is going to be a hell of a redemption week for us as Rice comes into that Austin? Yeah, Rice did show up and show out against Arkansas. Uh, kind of stuck it to them in the first half, but eventually got whipped up on. And then you really didn't see the same kind of performance against the Houston Cougars this last week, which makes me think that that's not a trajectory that the Owls are going to maintain over the course of their year. And I think when they come to DKR, we'll see a performance a little more consistent with their performance against Houston than against Arkansas. Mike, how about you? What do you think we're going to see from the Owls? I definitely have to agree with uh, Charlie on that one. Uh, I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Texas to rebound. Um, inferior on and of course we know that inferior on paper doesn't always mean a win we learned that last week but uh this is a great opportunity for texas to uh take a similar opportunity and make the most out of it and come out with a win this season build some more chemistry and head into big 12 conference play with a dub it looks like from the you know, the team they've been putting on the board especially the past week they also played arkansas and then they had u of h the following week and they lost uh 44 to seven. Now that is a crosstown rival. So it's a little bit more bitter situations. I wouldn't judge them clearly off that loss. Uh, shockingly, they did put up very similar stats against Arkansas that we did. Uh, however, they did move the ball a little bit easier. So I wonder if they just caught them early because that was the first game of the year, or maybe they're starting to kind of get their groove, but it's really hard to tell based on their first two games and the scores. 
Uh, you look at their offense, they're starting a lot of young guys. They've got a few uh, seasoned talent in the receiver position and running back. Uh, their defense, a little bit older, but I kind of wonder again, you know, you're seeing these older defensive players, but then you've got U of H that came out swinging and takes them down 44 to 7. What are you guys uh, expecting to see from Rice this week? Do uh, you think it's another team we shouldn't take too lightly, or maybe they're also another team that's just kind of young, and if we can get the ball rolling against them, we shouldn't have any problems? Yeah, I'm expecting the youth on their offense to be a challenge for them against what I think is a very capable Longhorn defense. I mean, B.J. Foster even managed to pick on a very talented Arkansas offense team. Uh, Overshone and Brocker Myers still had plenty of solo tackles. Uh, they even managed pressure a few times. I wouldn't be surprised if they come in and, and put up some numbers this week against a, a relatively untested Rice offense. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, our defense is littered with seniors all over the place. That does not bode well for Rice being such a young offense. Uh, honestly, our defense didn't play terribly until they were out last week. I think the first half was very telling, holding them to uh, four field goals on four drives that very well could have been touchdowns and blown that game even more open than it was. So hopefully our defense does come out and show. And obviously we've got Casey Thompson coming in on the offense, a little bit more experience, a little bit more poised on the offense. Hopefully uh, – we can get something going there and our seniority will rise up to Rice's, uh, I guess, senior most position group. Michael, you touched on an interesting point there. You kind of said the first half of Arkansas, our defense did hold them pretty low. I would agree. I mean, going into halftime, I believe it was uh, 16-0. Clearly defense was kind of, you know, getting a little bit more stops. I would say that when you kind of have an offense that's getting off the field so quick, you start to get these guys winded. So maybe if we can, keep our offense out on the field a little bit longer this week, we'll probably see a lot stronger showing from a defense. Cause if you're having to run up and down the field, trying to stop these guys and you're only getting, you know, a few, a few minute breaks in between. Yes, they are, you know, D one athletes, but after a while it's very, you know, holding back the ocean with a broom situation. Uh, so I think if we can get back in our rhythm, play our game. We'll see a much different result this week. Now, I assume both of you guys being on campus, y'all will be on the game this week. What is the buzz kind of going around? I mean, I know, the rest of the world is looking at them and say, oh, they're not back. They suck. They still suck. All these things. Or even SEC Shorts calls us out, and they have a video of us trying to shred our SEC contract and this and that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love the hate. The hate spreads the brand. The brand wins all. But do you think students are also buying into it? Are they still kind of somewhat motivated that maybe if we kind of keep behind these guys and you know, show up for a home game and actually support them, that they'll turn it around? Yeah, I think probably so. We had talked about, even preseason, the possibility of losing a, a pre-conference play game and how that doesn't have to defeat our whole chances of having a successful year. That Arkansas team was not a powder puff team that we were going to come to town and get to smack around. And it we definitely wasn't. Yeah, it definitely was not the Arkansas team of the past few years. That is very true. And I think, no. unfortunately, we were just the first victim. No, absolutely. And we talked about that ahead of time. I think we're going to see an Arkansas team that's entirely respectable this season. I hope so. It would help us look a little better. Um, but I, I think we're in for something a little different this week. And I think that can give us a kind of optimism going forward that I think is still a very present buzz on campus that I've been picking up on. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see the students giving up 
up on our football team anytime soon. Uh, we all know what Sark did last season with Alabama. I think our hopes are still high for him and what he's going to be able to do this season. And, you know, it, it's going to take more than just a loss to Arkansas to really knock us off. I'd be honestly shocked if the student section wasn't full again this uh, this next week. I think it being a night game, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. People get to see the new south end zone all lit up. I think they've got some crazy uh, LEDs going on that we haven't gotten to see yet in person. So I, I would really be uh, shocked if the students did not show up and show out for the Rice game, even though it's just Rice. This week, we do need to talk about a big change in the roster after Arkansas and the kind of somewhat disappointing performance by Hudson Card. Casey Thompson is back in the QB1 position, and who better to have here than the president of the Casey Thompson fan club? Michael, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm super, super excited for Casey. Uh, as we know, he was quarterback one throughout the spring and throughout the entirety of the spring game. And so uh, obviously that changed in fall camp, ended up behind Hudson Card. And if you're like me, you kind of wondered why he didn't just get up and transfer when Hudson was named the starter. He could probably find a better place to start and have success. Uh, but I think he came out and proved himself again this last week. He proved that the Alamo game, the Alamo Bowl game, excuse me, was not just a fluke. He could come out and play week to week. And I think that that quarterback battle was always close and it was only a matter of time before he got his opportunity. He's been here for four years now. He's waited his time, been patient, and I'm super stoked that he is uh, getting to reap the reward of his patience. So yeah, we were kind of touching on that a little bit. Me and Charlie were discussing how you know, other programs have done the same where we've, they've had to switch out a quarterback, whether for injury or poor performance midway through the game and whether or not, you know, they actually, or whether or not Sark traded him out at the right time or not, that's honestly null and void at this point. But we were even kind of discussing like during the Arkansas game, obviously we went in scoreless at halftime, but if you look back at the game, most people talk about between this rivalry being the game of the century in 69. I mean, Texas trailed in that game and they were playing like, we were playing like crap. I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't like we came out and dominated. We had to come back and scratch and crawl to get that game. And then some crazy just, you know, on the line plays or go for extra points instead of a field goal. So it, it was just kind of that moment that maybe you thought it was going to happen. But I think switching quarterbacks, people kind of say, well, maybe you should be worried or uh, maybe, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, no, it's just sometimes that's just what you have to do. Bigger, bigger names than Sark and more tenured coaches at a program than Sark have had to make those decisions. And, that's sometimes just how it goes. I mean, you can have a quarterback all off season. Maybe he's just not the guy halfway through the season, or you kind of have a situation like A&M where a big, you know, the guy you wanted gets hurt. And now you got to have your backup. I mean, that's just how it goes. You have to roll with it. You can't point fingers, but I do agree. Uh, Michael, the fact that he is finally getting his time to shine. I mean, last year's team in Colorado, it was a hell of a game from him. When Sark did pick card as a starter, I was like, wow, I just really wonder what happened those past eight months and off season that we didn't see. Uh, to be fair, though, I did hear that it was all down to ball control, which is kind of ironic because now the card, literally the second after he turned it over, which was his first physical turnover by him in the Arkansas game, he gets pulled. Uh, I think, if anything, that is Sark's defining characteristic. He wants a quarterback that won't turn the ball over. So I think if Casey can apply his athleticism and you know secure the ball, uh, we might see the finally the season he gets to play the whole way through and show us what he was about. I know he almost went to Oklahoma because his family's a – Big OU family, but he's here now, and I think maybe his patience will pay off. We'll just have to see. Now, you bring up a 
a point I wanted to uh, shed some light on because it came up after the first game. And honestly, I just thought people were joking because uh, there's always been so much criticism about it. The new logo in the South End Zone. Now, uh, I don't think we've got an official name yet other than South End Zone logo, but um, we better before someone else does. I uh, know before it gets its own little headline. I know obviously people always say it looks like a uterus and all that. I'm like, ah, whatever. Uh, I just tell them it looks more like a thong to me. I've seen more of those than the inside of a uterus. So if you take a look at it, and I found the tweet, and I didn't think it was real, and I finally saw the picture. I was like, okay, he wasn't wrong. If you look at the south end zone, the logo does not match up symmetrically with the goalpost. It's actually, and I confirmed this with a friend of mine, that was uh, had a little bit of stake on the project. The logo is 17 inches to the left. It is not symmetrical. <laughs> mm. Now you could call that a $350 million mistake or however much money was spent on this project. I know COVID made it balloon in cost and it took forever to build, but um, allegedly um, this would be the contractor working in construction. I know the contractor request all your staking and your surveying. They did all their plans and measurements off the existing structures. So the existing horseshoe of the stadium that was there found the middle line and drew it. Now, how the field is off by 17, I don't know. But I will say, even if you knew your very expensive building is 17 inches off and you're going to put new turf on the field, maybe before you you know glue that turf down, you kind of check things like this. So, hey. You know, I was I studied architecture at school. I know it's very frustrating for me, but at the same time, I just say maybe it was tactical. Maybe we're the only ones that know that. You get a kicker up there, he's going to be freaking out, wondering what the hell's going on with the building. Uh, then it starts lighting up and everything else. You know, what the hell's going on? But yes, it was confirmed that there is a slight mishap uh, on the layout. Now, say what you want. It, yeah, it's somewhat embarrassing. There's plenty of other stadiums with dumber things in the world. But if you want a fun fact for the day, you heard it here first on the 40 acre. If you go to Google Maps and you look at the Washington Mall, it is actually crooked as well. If you look at the Capitol and draw a straight line to the Lincoln Memorial, it is not exactly parallel to the surrounding area. So, hey, bigger mistakes have been made. And we still love it. We still love America. We still love the horns. 17 inches to the left. As long as it goes through the uprights, I don't care. Come on, hook them horns. I know you will. And I've seen this young. Run for the roses, watch Ricky and Earl strike them Heisman poses. All right, well, that wraps up our time on the 41st Acre. This is episode three, Rice, Rice, Baby. Charlie, as always. <laughs> Sorry. Michael, thanks for having you on the show today. I uh, hope you have a good time at the game this weekend, especially since it won't be 100 degrees. Uh, keep up that Casey Thompson fan club. Wish the best for him and think the horns are going to bounce back. Uh, we're happy to have you on the show. Absolutely. It's been a great experience. Uh, I've got the same hopes. Hopefully our horns get it back together this week. Hook them, you guys. Yeah, okay. hook them. All right. That'll work. From Elvis to McMichael to Those names you remember for the rest of your life. I'm one of the chosen. Whose blood runs burnt orange Thank God I was born A Texas Longhorn